Hi, my name is Roger Yates. I'm an ethical vegan from Dublin, Ireland, originally from Yorkshire, England. You can Google me on, on human-non-human relations. You're listening to the superb coexisting with non-human animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, well. Let's get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Recently there's been some kind of a video thing being recorded here in Invercargill, New Zealand. I saw the crew constantly buying furniture from the family antique and second-hand store where I work. It's apparently a big deal. Here's a clip from one of the Australian stars. Can't be that big a deal if an Australian gets near top billing. They recorded this podcast episode from a nearby radio studio. Notice how Homo Australius simplify their names. Hamish becomes Ham. Andy, which you'd think was already simple enough, don't want to blow their minds with the whole Andrew, becomes, apparently, in Australia, Ando. They're a special lot, those Australians. Their mothers love them. Few rivalries go as deep as the Australia-New Zealandy war. Pants up Friday, everyone! Hamish and Andy driving you home and ham. We are situated... Well, you're best to explain it because you're a local now. Welcome to sunny Invercargill, everybody. <laughs> uh, bottom, the very bottom of the world. The bottom of the South Island in New Zealand. I would like to say to everybody uh, listening uh, across Australia, um, yes, have a holiday here uh, in you know, through your radio speakers. Welcome. But a lot of people would say... Pride of the South, heart of Southland. Can you give me the couple of quotes that, uh, that best describe... It's not a good way to start the show, Ando. <laughs> well, I mean, you can find this if you have access to Google on the internet or Google the, the phone service or the mail service. Yeah. If you'd like to write to Google at P.O. Box 1 Internet Street, they'll send you this answer. Keith Richards came here. Uh, he's in the band, Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones. Uh, he's yeah. tour manager. So whoever was managing the tour in New Zealand just booked him to play a few gigs around. Yeah. One of them was in Vicargot. They turned up here and they said, quite famously, what are we doing here? It's the arsehole of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> but don't let that... Don't let Tell that... You, I, no. I like to think it's yeah. the larynx of the earth. Yeah, it's, it's got a proud <laughs> voice and it's a lovely spot. Uh, the next two hours, yes, will be a pamphlet. There's something, so something else an English captain, a uh, visiting rugby captain once said. Okay. Again, please don't... I mean, I, we've got nothing but good things well, to say well, about Invercargill. This show is a pamphlet for Invercargill at the, at the, the very right, bottom so of New what, Zealand. Here's what hasn't made the pamphlet. Okay. The visiting rugby captain called it uh, New Zealand's Chernobyl. Now, that is a lie. There's hardly... I mean, there's no... There's not I haven't even seen acid rain once. It's not even a nuclear reactor here. No. I mean, there's way better tourist attractions than that big concrete sarcophagus <laughs> they built over the disabled nuclear reactor. It's great. You've got cows, you've yeah. got... You've got everything. You've got lots. You've got saints and sinners on a Friday night. That goes off. I mean, we're, but there's so much more to fill you in on. <laughs> we are coming to you from the best studios of Invercargill, Ham, it's bottom of New Zealand. Gorgeous. Kind of, it might be the last spot on the earth before Antarctica. I'd have to get a map out. It might be somewhere in South America that beats us. Mm. 
But I like to think of it as last stop. Last stop before Antarctica. But you, can, you can just see it. You see the edge of Antarctica. Antarctica you yeah. see a couple of scientists' heads, <laughs> a few hats <laughs> down there walking around. You're like, oh, it's good to see they, you know, they wear hats. <laughs> Or a hat. No, welcome to Invercargill. It's just lovely here in Invers. Andy, town motto. Don't know if you saw this coming in. No. Invercargill, where dreams can come true. Not will. <laughs> <laughs> or not even not even could. Just can. Technically, if you get lucky, mm. dreams could come true. Depends what your dream is. Well, yeah, exactly. If your dream is to be in a town that has about 30 <laughs> hair salons, <laughs> your dreams come true. <laughs> I know. There is, it's strange. So many hair salons. salons. That's well, the first the, thing you notice. population in... here? Do you know? I mean, Vicargo? It's 50. <laughs> no, 5,000. 50,000, I was being told from outside really? the studio. <laughs> Where are they? Where have you hit them? There's not eternal creatures. I thought 50 was generous. <laughs> Uh, when we arrived, uh, they don't have like there wasn't a lay or anything you get like when you arrive in Hawaii. No, not even like a you get given a lamb <laughs> <laughs> and you raise it and yeah. you start your own farm and you have to wear it around your neck. <laughs> it doesn't mind. Um, but the thing was, we when it came into town yesterday, yeah. there's a buskers festival on. There's always something happening in Invercargill. Wouldn't like there's uh, there's 500 or so buskers and yeah. I thought wouldn't you want to go to a populated city so you could possibly make some money? This is where buskers go. This is like there's 500 sort of... buskers and only like what? No one's giving you any money because well, everyone no else in town's a busker. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, giving the money back to each other. It is. I mean, I haven't just been in Invercargill. Mm-hmm. Dunedin's only a two-hour drive away. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to see the big this big city lights, we'll of put a map up at hamishnee.com. Well, just go to Google Maps. Yeah. <laughs> we we didn't it, invent has, the map has, of New Zealand. <laughs> has it been mapped? There's That's still a worry. few places you can find. Okay. Uh, there's still a couple of bits that are just sort of TBC on the map. Visit. Thanks, yeah. guys. Hey, you're in the middle of telling us about the best attraction. Okay. Well, I don't want... For. 13, 10, 60, if you've got any others that we should be seeing while I'm here. I don't want to take anything away from Invercargill, but this one is in Dunedin, which is a town sort of like two, two or three hours away. Mm. I think they call themselves a city. Yep, mega city, a metropolis. <laughs> it's sort of like leaving New York for Vegas. In Dun Vegas, uh, there is this crazy attraction. We, Zoe and I, like my girlfriend and I, were in there for the weekend. We mm. went, hey, what do we see in Dunedin? This guy goes, oh, you've got to go and see the world's steepest street. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And so we went, how steep is, is it? it he, a goes, hill? he goes, it's pretty steep. <laughs> <laughs> so then I'm like, oh, this sounds, you know, this sounds cute. So, is it, so you just say it was the world's steepest? World's steepest street, okay. verified by Guinness. Okay. Although there is some controversy mm. with a street in San Francisco, but we won't get into okay, it. Okay. And you're certainly not while we're a host, a guest in New Zealand. As far as I'm concerned, you've got it done, Eden, and there shall be no further inquiries what, into it. Did you go have a look? So we drive over to the street. It's called Baldwin Street, right? Yeah. We drive up to it, and I'm like, oh, it can't be that steep. We get there. It's steep. <laughs> it's a steep street. And I didn't know if it would be signposted or anything. Yeah. Like I was I was like, oh, I wonder how much they are aware it's the world's steepest street. Mm. Very aware. Are they? Oh, yeah. We got to it so steep because I didn't want to drive up it. Really? That steep, right? So we get to the bottom and I was like, oh, there'll be no one out here. Like, is this going to be a normal street? There's people all over it. It's like, <laughs> it's like tourists running down the street with their arms in the air. Like, people are going nuts for this street. People are climbing up it, taking photos. We are in Invercargill. Yep. Welcome, everybody, to, uh, as the rain comes down, um, to the gorgeous, Sweet most, summer southern, rain. most southern spot of New Zealand, where Haynes has been doing a film. Possibly the world. 
Uh, we're still looking into that. Well, it can't um, be the most southern spot of the world. That's that'd be Antarctica. Antarctica. That'd be the South Pole. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they've got us. Uh, <laughs> cancel the search, everyone. <laughs> we, uh, we we instead decided to use our brains rather than the internet. But Ando, the reason uh, the reason we're here is you and Kathleen Jack have come over to visit. Um, mm. Just finishing up on a film over here. Uh, we had Brett from Fight of the Concords on earlier. He's on the film as well. Yeah. As part of the film, because it's set in 1992. Now, this is not meant to be a dig at Invercargill, mm. but present-day Invercargill mm. is a bloody good replica <laughs> of 1992. Yeah. And the option, spend $50 million on the set yeah. uh, to make it look like 1992 or spend 50 bucks in a bus to go to Invercargill <laughs> and you've got a whole town that's ready for you. Now, as part of the film, we're sporting some pretty fierce mullets. You are. <sighs> no, we do not sound the same. Southland, Dunedin. They were trying to say Southland, Dunedin, and Invercargill. Fair enough about the English guy's comment, though. Like Chernobyl. We may be a seemingly deserted area compared to England. Our vegan societies and associations seem to have memberships ranging from one up to a maximum of two members. We can't compete with Vegan Ireland and other animal rights groups in the United Kingdom. With my mind stuck in 1992, it would take too long to sufficiently mock Australia. It's pretty difficult to think of material, you know. Oh, if you like giant islands colonised by hardened convicts, sent by a ship to the other side of the world to hopefully die in the scorching desert heat, who survived by evolving into the missing link, who now drive about crappy Holden V8s and drink VB, come to Aussie, mate. Bring the Sheila, Fair Dinkum, Struth, Stone the Crows. If you're called Bernard, we'll call you Beza. If you're Sharon, you're now Shazza. Gary Francione would be Gaza Fraser. We have a big rock, a big bridge, and a big opera house that looks like it's made from big seashells. Sorry, Cobber, I meant big sea shazzas. Meanwhile, my lovely little city alone boasts that movie accurately based on her own son, Burt Monroe, starring Hannibal Lecter as a crackpot who pees on lemon trees and builds world-record-beating motorbikes by himself, just like Richard Pierce, the New Zealander who single-handedly built and flew a plane of his own design in the middle of nowhere before those crappy wrong brothers, who had a whole factory of bicycle makers helping out. Pierce was a little further up the South Island, but we also boast a one-man vegan society, and our pack-and-save supermarket can offer underground parking. Come to Invercargill, where dreams can come true. Small print disclaimer, as long as those dreams are about petting soft chicken friends and promoting veganism with a second-hand USB microphone. This episode, New Zealand Animal Rights Group's Pimping Free Range. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose Nothing ain't worth nothing, but it's free Feeling good was easy, Lord, when Bobby sang the blues Feeling good was good enough for me Good enough for me and Bobby McGee From the coal mines of Kentucky to the cow 
While promoting free range sure as heck isn't free, the chickens enslaved are not free, and neither is the time or money spent by animal activists. Perhaps this me and Bobby McGee we kept hearing about are feeling good. All it takes is a harmonica or a couple bells and whistles apparently, but nothing is being done for our chicken friends. I know what made me feel good, hearing the soft peeps of day-old chickens who just hatched underneath their mother hen. Sadly, Kentucky, whatever that is, has more than one export. Safe have now forgotten about the pigs after claiming victory about one particular type of cage used against pigs, uh, it's supposedly meant to be being phased out. Now they can go on about chickens in cages for a while. I like most, almost all animals. I have nothing against pigs. I found it very sad to see the same old videos of them screaming and biting bars covered in wounds over and over, but if there's one non-human animal species I'm particularly close to, it would be chickens. And chickens make up the vast majority of casualties when it comes to so-called animal agriculture. Some 49 billion of the 56 billion animals we killed in 2007 were chickens. Of all the animals we use, that we kill, Perhaps cows and chickens are the most loving, the most caring for their own families, for their friends. We abuse the workings of each species' female bodies, of taking their eggs, of taking their milk, of taking their children, of taking their lives. Seriously, of all animals we know, who cares for each other more than birds? This is not something that can be argued. Birds represent love, peace, community, and tweeting each other about what you think of the new Lady Gaga song, if it ripped off Madonna or not. Female chickens. Hens are marvellous. Soft, gentle, caring. Male chickens, roosters, are splendid, very handsome, and family-based. They protect their whole family. Of course, no entire animal species is all alike, apart from the Australians. Some of the hens will sit on me happily, others generally won't. Certainly Mr. Rooster wouldn't dream of it. He's far too independent. He's always looking for danger, while the others eat, often after he's found the bread I've scattered about, and he calls them over to eat first. To see chickens in any cages upsets me. It makes me very angry. I can think about how angry I would be if I somehow left my chicken friends in their shed all day. They always have warmth, shelter, water to drink, and each other for friendship, but I would never leave them in their shed for a single day. Four chickens, three hens, one rooster, left in a fairly large shed. It would be unacceptable to me for a single day. They sleep in there, and then have a whole garden during the day. To see hens who live their whole lives in the space of a piece of paper makes me very, very upset. To see how their feathers have been pulled out, or dropped out through distress, or rubbing against the bars. It's awful. How do we do this to other animals? And so what do we do from here? Well, we ask for millions of dollars to keep asking for bigger cages, or bigger enclosures. When it comes to the, quote, humane way to, quote, treat chickens, 
There are a million different terms and size allocations. Colony cages, barn raised, free range, battery cages, enriched cages. It goes on and on. It's all meaningless. None of it helps. The part I find hardest to deal with is when we do recognize that they have feelings and needs, and then we snatch all meaning from their lives again. To hear farmers talking about how they need room to stretch their wings, or a single place to perch, it makes me very upset. They need a hell of a lot more. They need their freedom, which again isn't free, in terms of money spent for larger cages, or in terms of free range. I'd like to share some audio clips of heard. Please pay attention to how the only option given is for larger cages, or for so-called barn-style free range. These animals are being seen as property, as some thing to be caged off, fenced away, with no real worth of their own. They are to walk around, eating as little as possible, laying eggs until their bodies slow down, and they just have to be killed. It's apparently cheaper to get more younger hens than keep a year-old hen about if she won't have as many eggs. When we talk about our conscience, how, how great we feel for picking the eggs taken from chickens and hens who are free, it makes me very upset. Their brothers are killed as soon as possible for not having female bodies, for not producing eggs. They are useless to the industry. These hens are not free. They are slaves. If we see other animals as being our property, why give a damn about how far they can move their wings? The least others deserve is to live their lives as they wish, to truly be free. I can only wish more people were promoting veganism as this issue comes up. I know I'm trying my best to show video and photos of how my chicken friends live. In this case, where the choice presented is tiny cages of screaming hens versus technically larger cages of screaming hens versus living in fenced-off areas, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Let's promote veganism for our friends. Well, the SPCA and the Greens are not impressed with a draft code released today by the Ministry of Agriculture and Forestry, which advocates moving from conventional cages for laying hens to a new type called enriched or colony cages. They say the proposals put us 20 years behind our EU counterparts and will result in the industry asking for a further 20 years to phase conventional cages out. Well, joining me in the studio now is Robin Kippenberger, the National Chief Executive of the SPCA. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, let's just start by describing what, it, what the size of a conventional cage is. What are we talking about? You're talking about uh, six times the size of a piece of full-scale paper, of, of full-scale papers, an A4. Okay, A4 so piece of paper. we're looking at six times that because there are six birds in that cage. Um, that's the amount of room that they get per bird. Um, and that means that they can't flap their wings, uh, they can't, it's 40 centimetres high so they can't stand upright properly and certainly when you see them you can see the restriction to their movement. They can't perch because there is no perch and they can't nest in a nest box because there is no nest box. Okay, so the industry doesn't seem to be arguing that conventional cages uh, don't work but instead there is a suggestion of enriched or colony cages which are actually two different things. What's, a, what's an enriched cage? Um, they're not really two different things, they're two, two different names for basically the same thing. An enriched cage or a colony cage, a colony means more than six birds so sometimes it's 20, sometimes it's more. 
um, certainly the ones I've seen are for 20 birds. And that means that they get slightly more space. Um, slightly and, more meaning what? Well, it's 550, I think, is the amount of space okay, that... Okay, so if we're talking about this size for yes. a conventional cage, then what yes. are we talking about with an so, enlarged? 200 square centimetres more than that. So instead of 550, you're looking at 750. That's the proposal. And then what, and they're only it? about... That, those are square centimetres. So okay. only about that much more height. So they're not But you're squeezing to, more birds in, is that so what you're old, saying? Uh, totally. But each one of them has that amount of space, however big it is. A little bit bigger than that piece of paper. Um, and so realistically, they can shift around the cage and it does give them more movement. However, the nature of birds is that they are extremely, there is, the pecking order was about birds. Mm -hmm. And so the ones that are dominant will always get the choice of the nest box, the choice of the scratch and, and everybody pad, else suffers And everyone in the else cage. kind of goes down the pecking order until there are ones, as there are in ordinary cages where you have six birds, where okay. they just don't get the fancy frills. Right, so clearly you're not happy with that. Egg producers are saying, though, that 80, some 88% of uh, consumers buy the eggs from conventional cages. Affordability, they say, is put at risk uh, by moving too quickly to get rid of the conventional cages. And we would say that that's rubbish. People have moved really quickly over the past year to free range. Barn birds are much better looked after and they have much more freedom than cage birds ever can. A cage is a cage um, and a barn is a much larger space and they get the ability the to move around. But the reality around. is though you're not going to get the same amount of product, are you? Well, that's not really true either. Certainly the... the um, ground space that you need for barns is greater because they can stack these cages and I'm not sure I haven't looked at uh, at the code in depth yet but I don't believe they've actually said how many they can stack one on top of another. Okay so then the other concern is that moving too quickly to free range let alone enriched or colony cages would see the fall of, of many of the smaller producers leaving the range if you will open to um, larger commercial producers. Is this a concern at all? That's not really a concern either. We've got a lot of small producers who are doing fine with their free range and their organic. Um, our own tick, uh, our blue tick, um, has a lot of producers that don't use cages. What, what you can't deny, though, is that those eggs cost more, don't they? They are not, not as available more. to the average consumer. Well, they're not a lot more, and there are now supermarkets that only sell those eggs. And certainly, if you go overseas in uh, Europe, there are supermarkets that simply don't have um, cage bird eggs. OK, we do, uh, we do big... have to wrap. So just very quickly, what's, what's the SPCA's plan to combat this? As far as we're concerned, uh, we're, we're totally opposed to colony cages, and we want people to write to the government and to make submissions to actually oppose that as well. All right, thanks so much for your time. That's Robin Kippenberg and the National Chief Executive of the SPC. Uh, the cost of eggs could treble if a code of welfare to make life more comfortable for hens is adopted. Let's talk to the co-director of the Free Range Eggs of New Zealand, Rob Darby, or otherwise known as Friends. Rob Darby, good morning. Top of the morning, Marcus. What does this code propose? Well, it's proposing uh, a few guidelines for a few different ones, uh, mainly for the cages, of course, the big changes are coming. So it's proposing bigger cages or like less cagey cages, is that right? Well, basically what they're saying to the hens is, hey, the good news, we're going to give you a bigger prison and the bad news, we're going to give you more cellmates. Okay, so it's actually, it's, a, 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 it's not a win situation for the chooks. Not if you're a chook, you know, Mark, isn't it? Well, it doesn't even sound like it would make the eggs much more expensive either because it doesn't sound like they're spending much more money. 
Well, I guess there's going to be big changes for everyone who's invested in cages. They're going to have to redo them all. On the free-range side, not a lot will change. I think they talked about $150 million for all the chick farmers to get their chooks up to, up to scratch with the new legislation. Yeah, well, it's, it's bad news for them, and it's still bad news for the poor old hen. On the free-range side, they are saying that, hey, look, um, we're going to say 2,500 birds a hectare, which is a lot of birds per hectare, which is about two and a half acres. Um, that's about three times the sustainable limit that uh, the organic people set out, and that's going to be bad news for the ground. Is there a form of caging hens that is humane? Um, only if you're a scientist looking at it from that point of view, certainly if you ask a hen, it, it's impossible to express its, most of its freedoms that it wants to express, which is, you know, scratching around on the ground, flapping its wings and perching and all that sort of thing. It's pretty well impossible to do that inside a cage. So when we're saying free range, we mean free range in the outdoors. We don't mean free range inside a shed. Well, that's, that's exactly right. And unfortunately in New Zealand, there hasn't been a definition of free range. So you've got a heck of a lot of bogus free range out there that are selling them as free range and they've never ever seen the light of day. And they're indoors. They're indoors and uh, now they're proposing, hey, look, we might have to let them, let them outdoors maybe for an hour in the afternoon. Let's talk about cost. What would the real cost of a free-range kind egg be? Well, compared to a cage bird, you're, you're talking a lot more labour and a lot more, uh, even a lot more feed. I mean, these birds eat a lot more to be able to get out and about, running around, but like, um, but like radio hosts and uh, and all blacks, I guess they eat a bit different. So, what would it? What would it? I mean, if we're looking at the cost of an egg going up for even the intermediary step of having them, giving them better conditions, I mean, how much will people? have to pay for eggs that are gentler on the hens? Well, in a way, I think it's good news if, if the cage uh, eggs do go up. Um, I think that will make them more closer to the free-range counterparts, which will, you know, promote the free-range even more. But I could, I could imagine if I was a cage farmer looking at um, in reinvesting all over again, I might have second thoughts and just go for barn. So will you just tell me what a free-range egg costs compared to a caged egg? Uh, well, friends' eggs are around about uh, nearly twice the price of a caged egg. Okay, and there's much upkeep for people at that price buying them, or people actually uh, tend to actually hide their conscience and buy the cheap ones? Um, well, I, I think people like to think they're buying free-range sometimes and they're buying a lot of bogus free-range out there, but, yeah, we have no eggs in the chiller, so obviously people who are buying friends' eggs are happy with them and are happy with the brand and know they're going to get outside and do what they want to do. So your market share's increasing? Absolutely. Okay, and as far as, this whole, uh, as far as this whole study, this proposal goes, you think it doesn't go far enough, but you think it's probably going to be a good thing if it makes people pay a bit more for their eggs and realises that your eggs aren't that much more expensive? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, will you submit feedback on the draft proposal? Yes, absolutely. We'll be putting in some uh, feedback on that draft proposal, especially on those uh, huge numbers per hectare. And how many are they proposing per hectare? Well, at the moment, friends, uh, use 350 birds per acre or about 830 birds per hectare. And this is three times that amount. If you let that amount of birds, especially, uh, you know, 30,000 birds some of these people have got in sheds, if you open the doors and let them out, uh, which is a good thing, but unfortunately it'll decimate the ground around the shed. So you're saying it's just far too little ground? It's just not sustainable, Marcus, no. Whereabouts are you out of interest? We're down here uh, in the uh, Franklin District. Uh, most of our farms are between um, here and up at uh, Kaiwaka Way. And the eggs taste much, much better? Oh, I have to bring you some up, Marcus, and cook you some up. I can see you could probably do with a decent egg. Good on you. Thank you so much. 26 past 8, Friends. Say it all now. Free Range Eggs New Zealand, Rob Darvey. Friends, co-director of that 26 past 8. Unbloody real. How can they see the radio host needs anything? Um, it's called radio. You know, 
a telephone call, complete with all the line noise. And the company, it's called Friends. F-R-E-N-Z. I found those clips depressing. Again, to have this portrayed as so black and white, either we get larger cages, or we do nothing. It's also utterly wrong. To hear of this Friends company, www.frenzs.co.nz, with an S, there's another site without the S, Free Range Eggs New Zealand. Quote from the huge flash-heavy site, For hundreds of years, people have been eating and enjoying naturally laid eggs. They're one of nature's perfect foods. Versatile, rich in vitamins and minerals, essential fats and protein. When you choose friends, you're choosing to join a number of people who believe most things are better the way nature intended. Not bloody likely. What animal was intended to serve as a slave to another? To have hens, perhaps the finest mothers in all the animal kingdom, second to none, first equal with a caring human mother and father. Did they really evolve over all these millions of years to live in wire-fenced areas? To be slaves, to be property, to be seen as things? Hardly. Friends by name, friends by nature, it says on some of their trucks. Not at all. My friends don't live to serve me, to have their eggs taken from them. I do indeed break their eggs as a form of birth control, or maybe that's hatching control, and they eat their own eggs, as chickens do naturally. From their website, where do the birds go when they have finished laying? Answer, we collect end-of-lay birds from you and rebate you with the market rate. Unreal. I find that very offensive. All this talk about how nature intended this, organic that, free range, and actually calling themselves F-R-E-N-Z, Free Range Eggs New Zealand, friends, that these are exported around the world, overnight on giant planes, that they talk of, when you choose friends, you're choosing to join a number of people who believe most things are better the way nature intended, and then have the nerve to call these birds your friends, it's unbelievable. And to talk about joining a, a number of people who believe most things are better, yada yada yada. What is this, like some kind of cult or the Freemasons? Do you get like a membership card or some kind of bumper sticker to put on your car? Oh, I only buy free range from friends. I love animals. Let's be honest here. Where are these hens going when they become all hyphenated end of lay? They're going to be killed, right? It's obvious. They're not going to live in some insanely large farm, a large tract of land paid for as a sort of pension plan from taking all the eggs during their productive life. But this friend's outfit doesn't want to say that on their lame flash-plagued site. It's all organic, free-range, and as nature intended. I'll tell you what nature intended, for websites to be compatible with my iPhone and iPad. You'd have to be a grade-A, free-range moron to alienate all those urban hipsters with their eye-everything. You know, your intended self-righteous customers. These are apparently the very best-treated hens in New Zealand. No mention of our rooster friends, of course. They would have been casually killed as soon as possible as babies. And in the end, the hens are killed, with their owners paid, quote, market rate. When my female human friends reach menopause, I don't claim market rate for them to be killed. 
Who sets this market rate to? Do people buy and short the end-of-lay hen market? I don't kill my female human friends when they get to a certain age. They are my friends. So are chickens. I'd actually be all too happy if the hens stopped having eggs. Then I wouldn't have to pick up and drop these gross things that painfully come from their vents each day. It's disgusting. There isn't a nice way to treat others as slaves. Watching old episodes of the American sketch comedy show In Living Colour, I found this scene about animal rights activists who harass people who wear fur, you know, skin with the hair left on, compared with that apparently lesser evil which we dub leather, skin with the hair off. Because hair on, hair off, it makes a huge difference, right? Has wearing real fur become a hassle? Are animal rights activists bringing you down? Then say hello to the Clear Conscience Fur Farm and Outlet Store. Here at Clear Conscience, 90% of our pelts come from rodents that die of old age. Right here in our own luxurious rodent retirement home. The rest of our pelts come to us thanks to Mother Nature. For instance, this unlucky little fellow was struck down by lightning. While these little guys were struck by severe animal depression and mass suicide. So the next time you have a run-in with an animal rights activist, flash him the label on the inside of your sable. Clear conscience. We'll skin no hide before it's time. I suppose if you want to donate your body to science, good for you. I wouldn't like to see the doctors who cut your corpse up walking about with new skin jackets on, though. Would you? When we make artificial circles of hell, we really do confuse non-vegans. For example, fur is evil, leather is apparently not a problem because we don't seem to have single-issue campaigns about leather. I can't believe that there are actually vegetarians out there who wear skin. I saw one comment recently, something like, Oh, I only bought these shoes because they were Indian leather. They wait until the animals die, you know. Well, I don't want to touch a dead body who was found lying in a ditch somewhere, covered in flies. Perhaps the maggot hole saved drilling holes for the laces. I wouldn't know. I don't want to strap someone's removed skin to my feet. This idea of magical Indian leather, too. I advise they watch earthlings to see how these animals were seen and treated in India. Here's a reminder. They were forced to walk to their deaths after being clumsily shod with pieces of metal on their hooves, and they had ropes put th through their nose. If they refused, they were hit. They had chilies and other offensive substances rubbed into their eyes to irritate. Then, they were killed. There is no magic, no ethics when it comes to killing other animals. Here's a clip from an audiobook about The Simpsons. One of the writers explaining his own ethics. Meyer looks like a scruffy hippie, or deadhead, which for years he was. He's an adherent to vegetarianism, yoga, and environmentalism. If Lisa is the social conscience of the Simpson family, Meyer may have been the conscience of their writer's room. I'm an animal lover who wears leather shoes. A vegetarian who can't resist smoked salmon, Meyer wrote in an op-ed for the BBC News website in 2006. The article was a plea for like-minded folks to join the environmental movement, an acknowledgment that participation in Earth's destruction was no excuse not to try and save it. Are we really going to wreck the whole planet? Because that's a big move. That's like something a crazy stripper would do, he continued. There's nothing difficult about being morally consistent. 
It's not like it's a hassle to be vegan. Oh no, I need to kill someone to wrap my feet in their preserved skin. I don't see this as a matter of steps. Someone is either dead, or they are not dead. Unless you're in some kind of brain-dead coma, I guess. Well, in the case of, but I wear shoes from skin, I'm vegetarian, but I like eating some animals, give me a break. At least I'm trying to make some kind of difference for some kinds of exploitation. I'd say it was as easy to be vegan as not. There is no conflict. Here, we have the writer's love for eating flesh versus that animal's right to life. It's not life or death for the writer. It is for the animals that we're just about killing, though. Another clip about those magical animals in India, where people wait for them to die of old age before we take their skin for our own shoes. This clip is from The Big Bang Theory. Next four to eight days, she's going to get very crabby. <laughs> Sweetheart, your little friend is concerned about you. Yes, well, I'm not a child. I'm a grown man capable of living my life as I see fit. And I certainly don't need someone telling on me to my mother. Wait, where are you going? To my room, and no one's allowed in! <laughs> Gets his temper from his daddy. Uh. He's got my eyes. I see. All that science stuff, that comes from Jesus. <laughs> Sheldon, your mom made dinner. I'm not hungry. Oh, Leonard, don't trouble yourself. He's stubborn. He may stay in there till the rapture. <laughs> we so sure that's a bad thing? <laughs> I tell you, I love the boy to death, but he has been difficult since he fell out of me at the Kmart. Excuse me for being so bold, but I now see where Sheldon gets his smoldering good looks. Uh, honey, that ain't gonna work, but you keep trying. I made chicken. I hope that isn't one of the animals that you people think is magic. You know, we have an Indian gentleman at our church, Dr. Patel. It's a beautiful story. The Lord spoke to him and moved him to give us all 20% off on LASIK. You know, those that needed it. That is a lovely story. Um... We might laugh as Westerners about animals other religions consider magic, but what might they think of our own obsessions? With how dolphins and whales are special, how sad it is when people throw rocks at seals, or when someone kills a single dog or cat. Chickens are just as wonderful as any other animal. I personally think they are much nicer than average, so much more equal than the others. That's just a matter of opinion, though. And in the case of whales and seals, my own area was colonised by Europeans who wanted to kill these animals, the whalers and sealers. We seem to have forgotten that. Nope, nope, we're decent, hard-working people who come home to a big meal of someone's flesh while we wear someone's skin, drink someone else's breast milk. But those evil Japanese, they murder whales! I was invited to be a guest on AR Zone. During the chat, I was asked what I thought of an open rescue group on the other side of the world from me, almost literally. In several locations, our countries are actually exactly opposite, shown by GPS. I've seen photos of making an earth sandwich, where people in country X put a piece of bread down at location X, and on the other side of the world, country Y citizens put a piece of bread at location Y. The two are co coordinated using GPS. The entire planet in between serves as the meat substitute in the metaphorical sandwich. I said outright that I knew very little of the group, 
but mentioned open rescue and direct action groups here in New Zealand, the kind that breaks into factory farms at night while using all kinds of James Bond technology and then give their recordings to SAFE to use in welfare reform promotion. I've never seen New Zealand Open Rescue go after free-range operations. It's always the same old evil factory farms, with the cages and the sad-looking pigs and the cockroaches on the walls, the open wounds, etc. Here's an email I was forwarded from one of these groups in New Zealand about their investigation. Uh, New Zealand Open Rescue recently investigated a North Island intensive piggery Intensive piggery, ooh, where we documented disgusting conditions inside farrowing and fattening buildings. Sadly, these conditions are nothing out of the ordinary. In fact, they are the norm. The problem is not with isolated farms, but with systems that treat animals as units of production. Animal machines, as opposed to the ones that don't treat animals as things. Piglets in the fattening rooms were filthy and covered in flies. They were confined to pens and decrepit buildings and so, sorry, decrepit rooms inside a building that looked like it should be condemned. The sows confined to farrowing crates were clearly suffering. They all looked like they'd lost the will to live and were merely existing. They too were covered in flies and many had contact wounds on their backs from where they constantly rubbed against the crate bars confining them. Again, they were imprisoned in a series of rooms that could only be described as miserable. Years worth of cobwebs and filth hung from the ceilings. We spent two hours inside this farm and felt a heavy sense of years and years worth of suffering and misery as we walked from room to room documenting everything. While it is a victory that sow stalls will be banned in five years, absolutely nothing has been done about farrowing crates, which are just as cruel. The photographs of sows and crates from this investigation speak for themselves. The suffering of the sows is apparent in their eyes. To look at them up close and in the flesh, we felt it was like they had given up all hope, felt no joy and knew they never would. It is up to the public of New Zealand to make real change for animals imprisoned on factory farms across our country. It was the public that forced a ban on sow stalls, and it will be the public that sees an end to all factory farming. It's time the people of New Zealand to say enough is enough. People power is the only thing that will force these cruel industries to change. Join us at the March to End Factory Farming, 5th of March 2011, Wellington. www.endfactoryfarming.org.nz New Zealand Open Rescue, PO Box, blah blah blah. This is from New Zealand Open Rescue. This is our large group and they go after welfare reform. As, as you heard, it's all about intensive this and the suffering in their eyes and how some things are a victory but it's not a victory until the other cages are banned as well. And they mentioned cobwebs and cockroaches and, you know, um, buildings that look like they should have been condemned. Well, I don't think it really makes a difference if the buildings were brand new and all spotless and shining stainless steel instead of rusty old iron and steel. Um, free range is no, no different at all, and it's about the animals. It's not about how they're kept, how they're treated, supposedly, as if they're treated well, if, as if they get an iPod or an iPhone every birthday. It's about their own inalienable rights, that they're individual beings, sentient beings, no different than you or I. I mentioned on the AR Zone chat that I didn't agree with these groups. I think it's more about ego, Jeepers. feeling powerful than helping the animals because they do not promote veganism as a moral baseline. 
I've always seen them as a group of young people jumping in the mystery machine and cruising the countryside at midnight, looking for old man Jenkins' factory farm. There's a big hand-painted sign outside saying just that. They take more of the standard videos, and it's reported to the media as evidence of how cruel so-called factory farming is, how the animals are treated. Any claim that this is somehow animal rights is confused. It's not about their rights at all. It's about treatment, their so-called welfare before we kill them. Give me liberty or give me pizza pie. <laughs> and on the few times a year that the mainstream media cover this so-called animal rights, in the end, the television camera crews chase after the senior man in charge of the farm, who can only shake his fist at the cameras and utter, And it would have been mine if it hadn't been to those meddling kids. Yes, and I'd have gotten away with it. Factory farming. Too, it wasn't for these blasted kids and their dogs. There's no such thing as a united animal rights movement, what with divisive people like myself about. I thank Vegan Ireland for uploading videos of a Late Late Show appearance of philosopher Tom Reagan. This clip starts off with an ignorant comment and goes into accusing his soft-spoken discussion of ethics as somehow hiding behind the true face of animal rights activism. You're a meat eater. Um, absolutely. I, mean, I actually like to name my food. I like to personally pick out the lobsters that I eat and call them all Mr. Pinchy and uh, really enjoy actually eating them. You have no, no guilt about selecting one of those no, ten lobsters you see, this for thing, Nobody involved in this argument has actually said the primary function, which is that we eat meat because we can. It's as simple as that. And, I mean, Tom can come up with sort of his various different arguments and the butchers come up with their for sort of statistical proof or whatever. We eat meat because we like to eat meat. And there is certainly, the idea of actually saying that animals have rights is completely ludicrous. We might have certain responsibilities towards animals because we're at the top of the food chain. And there's almost this sort of human guilt, it's like a PC, species, basis, that we're top of the food chain, we will eat things all the time. And personally, I, mean, I, I actually quite like going up to, I'd like to lick a cow to make sure that it's ripe before I have a steak, <laughs> kind of thing, just to be, and I don't really have a moral problem with that whatsoever. Um, and I have to say, what we're getting is a brilliant sugar-coated version of the animal rights movement tonight. And I have to say, I have to compliment you, Tom, you're doing a fantastic version, because I, mean, I know your work, and I've gone through your websites and stuff like that, and we are not seeing the extreme and the extreme, the logical conclusion of the views that are coming through from this, you know. Mm. Um, but, no, you see, there is no moral responsibility for us not to eat meat. It's, it, it, it doesn't even come within our moral framework whatsoever. Now, the thing is, when, on a basic level, because we have evolved so far beyond, you don't want to basically be sort of beating up some animal before you kill it. But we like meat. It's simple as that. As a species, we like to eat meat. Um. The other thing is the suggestion that what I'm giving is a sugar-coated uh, version of animal rights. Uh, I'm giving my version of animal rights, I'm not giving the sugar-coated version of animal rights. I mean, there is a media conception, a popular conception of animal rights as a bunch of thugs, um, uh, lawbreakers, or, or three stooges activists running through the streets naked or throwing pies in people's faces mm -hmm. or something like that. That's not what I represent. I mean, uh, and wh what's very important for everybody in the audience and everybody watching the show is not to think that there is just a monolithic animal rights movement that is represented by the media. Okay. And all due respect to the media. Bugger the media, we've got podcasts now. I want nothing to do with those crazy antics. I'm too busy with my one-member vegan society. I'd like to see the NZ Open Rescue Groups visit a so-called free-range farm in the middle of their night and to go to SAFE with that footage to show the public. 
It's not hard to understand the horrors of happy animal byproducts. I stumbled upon this comment online. A person by the name of Pet Communicator mentioned this some months back on the Trade Me message board, New Zealand's largest website, an auction, eBay clone. Quote, the free-range farm where I help out and collect eggs on the weekends so that they can have a break have 4,500 chooks there in three sheds. You, can, you sure can see how vicious they can be in situations like that. Some of them are so terrified they simply never leave the sheds. It's a free-range farm. And because there is a glut of free-range eggs out there at the moment, they may be culling one shed off early. My favourite shed. They are the best girls there, the least fighting, the most friendly girls. Have to get the word out around home here and get some of them a home to go to so they don't all end up in a hole in the ground. If push comes to shove, I could grab another ten, but then I wouldn't have a second pen to rotate my existing girls into. Gord. God. I hate businesses that involve animals. And that was from Pet Communicator. I do understand many workers on farms, factory or free range alike, genuinely like animals. Perhaps they were actually pushed into that career path. Oh, I like working with animals. And so they ended up putting them in cages, taking their eggs from them, clearing out their dead. The poster mentions having pens that these free animals are left barricaded into at her property. Quite often I notice talk of mass killings of chickens by farmers. One incident had a large number of hens being culled, or as we non-politically correct people can say, killed. A large number of gentle hens were killed, but when it was decided their flesh tasted bad, the whole lot were piled into a pit and set alight. Their dead bodies were garbage to be gotten rid of. Their lives had no meaning. They were killed in droves in the hopes they would taste good once they were all killed. They tasted bad, so they were waste. And this is involved with free range too. Pet Communicator earlier mentioned how they cull off a whole shed early. Well, in this case, because of some kind of glut, supposedly, that there's too many free range eggs out there, they're claiming. So they're going to have to do it earlier than usual to kill every hen in an entire shed, you know, I thought these free-range, you know, animals lived outside of sheds, don't they? Isn't that the image that we're given on TV? When they show all the farms and the, the butterflies and the bumblebees and the daffodils and the blue skies and the contrails and... And yet they're living in sheds and they're going to be killed off early because of market conditions, a market rate, you could say. I noticed Pet Communicator's business website, quote... Satisfied clients have, with Kellyanne's special ability, experienced a new, deeper, and more profound communication with their beloved animals and pets. Website link is below, or go to www.talktoyouranimals.co.nz to read testimonials and details required for consultations. Gift vouchers also available, ideal for those hard-to-buy-for animal lovers in your area. $40 New Zealand for three questions, whether they have issues or not, getting it straight from the horse's mouth, or cat or dog, or anything else, is a gift they will treasure. From their heart to your ear is what an animal communication consultation can offer you. 
Holy heck, sounds like the kind of racket the Invercargill Vegan Society should muscle in on. We can do that. We'll lowball her. $39 and you get four questions. Oh, and using our latest Empathy Medic 9000 series detectors, physical proximity is trivial. I can read their souls from the other end of the nation. Over 3G on my iPhone during breaks from my, you know, actual job. Here's a free consultation. The strongest signal I can pick up, okay, uh, it's coming in in the 6 gigahertz band, um, about a million decibels, um, Bluetooth, uh, mumbo jumbo this and mumbo jumbo that, hoping to sound technical here. Um, it's being broadcast by the uh, 56 billion land animals we kill each year. Um, I think I'm converting it right. I think my translation, uh, okay, uh, okay, I got it. Don't, censored, kill me. However could we have figured that out without the services of IVS, the Invercargill Vegan Society? That'll be $39, thank you. We find ourselves confused about other animals from how others speak. When vegans create distinctions between how animals are kept alive, fattened for slaughter and killed, it really does seem to non-vegans that there's a good way and a bad way. We've seen this kind of division in whole countries before, of treating people differently based on arbitrary distinctions, such as the colour of our skin. This clip is from one of my favourite books of all time, The Power of One. At half past seven I had already said my farewells to my grandpa and my mother, and was sitting on the front wall waiting for the blue prison light utility which was to pick me up. I could have gone to the prison, but Hertz said, No problems, it's only a few minutes out of our way, save the energy for the ring. Gert wasn't like the other warders. Indeed, all the kids thought he was the best thing since sliced bread. He liked to help people, and he once told me he only hit kaffirs if they really did wrong. A kaffir hurts also, maybe not like a white man, because they're more like monkeys, but they hurt also when you hit them. The book is from Australian author Bryce Courtney about his earlier life in South Africa, although it's a fictional tale set around the Second World War. I should have mentioned Pet Communicator's use of the term chook too. It's an Australian thing. I've always hated it. I don't let other people say it around me without commenting. Calling chickens chooks. <sighs> I'm sure they don't really care what other species call them, but we know what it means. It's a dumbing down, as if they are somehow lesser. The equivalent of chook for other animals would be moggy for cat and mutt for dog. Regardless of how light or dark our skin is, we all feel pain the same. We are all equal. I don't see any reason to believe chickens feel pain any more or less than we do. I don't see any reason to believe that they were lesser than us, the master species made in the image of a god. Factory, free range, it's all the same. It doesn't matter how we feel before apartheid or during apartheid or post-apartheid. The people involved are the same. We are all the same. Chickens are the same, before and after. Factory farming, free range, barn raised, colony raised, whatever we want to call it. They're still the same animals. They're not going to change between times. Factory, free range. It really is all the same. Freedom in the sense of freedom farms or of free range does not mean anything about actual freedom of being free which is also different than buy five kilograms of flesh, get an extra kilogram free, too. 
and promoting artificial distinctions, single-issue campaigns. It's not free, either. It has a real cost. It's apparently taken over 25 or so years in New Zealand so far to get rid of these battery cages for hens. 25 years. It could apparently take another 20. I'm 23 years old right now. I don't want to work hard each and every day talking to people about current issue occupying animal rights activist X until I'm 43. I'd much rather give myself a fancy title and preside over a local vegan society, promoting veganism as the least others deserve. Each and every day we make an impact. We are helping the others the more we promote veganism. Other animals should instead be seen as our friends, and friends are worth a lot. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing ain't worth nothing, but it's free. Feeling good was easy, Lord, when Bobby sang the blues. Feeling good was good enough for me. Good enough for me and Bobby McGee. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at coexistingwithnonhumananimals.blogspot.com. Please don't buy bootlegs from some guy called uh, Tim or Randy. Just get it for free, okay? Coexistingwithnonhumananimals.blogspot.com. If you want to contact me, even just to say you've listened and are Australian and very angry at me, send an email to jwontdart at gmail.com or on Twitter, twitter.com slash j-a-y-w-o-n-t-d-a-r-t. I'd really appreciate it. It's great hearing from other vegans around the world. Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you. It's certainly better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.